there anyone home? Come on, come on down. I hear you being down. Well, I can ease your pain, get you. Hi, welcome to the White Bikini. My name is Marie White, and joining me today is my co-host Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing great, Marie. I'm really looking forward to discussing this week's topic. It is very, very substantive and important to the lives of so many people. On a personal note, I would just like to say that I'm really delighted that we're having this discussion. As a man of color, as a black man, this topic related to mental health and mental well-being. Is such a taboo subject and carries with it such stigma that I think even if it's only one voice at a time, it's important that we are having this discussion today and continue to have these discussions in the weeks and months and years to come. So I'm grateful that we have this forum, and I will do my best to share my thoughts and feelings. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do have my experiences. That may guide and inform some of the discussions that we have to look forward to during this week's podcast. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and there's been so much in the news lately regarding. I guess to me, the biggest story was the very untimely passing of Naomi Judd. But before we begin, Nick and I are not experts with the mental health field. We are just two friends sharing our thoughts and feelings regarding mental health and what we as lay people can do to help ourselves, our friends, and our community around us. If you do feel that you are in crisis, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 1-800-273-8255, or please call 911. The first story I wanted to start with, and I, I felt very sad about her passing, was Naomi Judd. It has been probably about the last 10 years that she wrote a book regarding her battle with depression. And I remember hearing about it and seeming very startled because when you would see her on stage with her daughter, they seemed so upbeat, which is not always a telling sign. And it seemed that as she grew, I guess, a little older, it seemed that some of her symptoms did get more intense. And unfortunately, in the last week, she did pass away. And the quote the family used was by mental illness. And I was a little disappointed because I would wanted them to take that moment to say that she did take her own life. And two days ago, they did come out and say it. And I didn't know what you thought about that, Nick. Yeah, that one's a very difficult topic to broach. On the one hand, there is the assumption of privacy during any sort of tragedy, like the passing of a loved one. But I think much like we have come with regards to the way we discuss and communicate cancer in our society, I, I think as a whole, as a community, we would benefit from people having a much more candid discussion about suicide and discussing the impact and the ramifications of people 
loved ones, family members, spouses uh, taking their own lives. So I, I am conflicted, you know, because at the end of the day, are we making the argument that there is a proper way to grieve over the loss of a loved one? But I do recognize the broader social implications of being frank and forthright about someone you love taking their own life. And I do feel, especially with the relationship with being your mother, it's probably a much more difficult conversation to have, whether it be a friend, but I think a parent or a child or a sibling, that loss is so much more tragic. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and that was the broader context of what I was trying to discuss a moment ago. You are in such a desperate psychological state. It's hard to come to terms with the reality of the passing of someone you love, much less having an awareness of how their death could have some greater social impact. So it, it's a difficult decision. And I think where we are as a society, this is about as good as I think we can expect until we come to terms with the consequences of uh, mental disorders, mental health problems, and you know one of the more tragic outcomes, which is suicide. I think we're working our way there. Uh, I still remember when I was a little boy, people would discuss a cancer diagnosis in hushed tones with a lot of trepidation and embarrassment and shame. Now it's not that case. Uh, I, I think people who have been diagnosed with a, who have been given a cancer diagnosis don't feel shame, at least not the way it was, you know, 30 years ago. And I, I would hope that our society is working to that same place of understanding when it comes to mental health concerns. And what I'm about to share is a little graphic. So for anyone that might be triggered, this might be a good time to pause. But I was very surprised that Ashley Judd came out and said that she was speaking with her mother. She walked into the living room and when she went back, she found her mother had passed. And the fact that she went into such great detail Part of me thought, is that too much? But then part of me thought, we need to have this conversation for the family members left behind. I agree. I agree. I think, and forgive me uh, as a lay person, this might not be the most empathetic way to phrase my thoughts, but we need to have a, a, a reasonable understanding of why people commit suicide. And I think so much of that, so much of the consequence is locked away in the shadows of people's thoughts and wrapped in shame and guilt and fear. That's why, as you said, it was so startling because we really haven't come to terms with the fact that this is a consequence of when mental health problems are either improperly diagnosed, neglected, or in some cases, this is a consequence of when people reach extreme distress. And my next point with mental health, and I'm starting to wonder, are, much, are issues that maybe were a little more manageable? Has the pandemic changed everyone's mental health? I think in, in the broadest sense possible, you can make a short-term, mid-term, and long-term assessment as, yes, whether it's you know, mild anxiety disorders, mood disorders. And I think those are the ones that I think most people can relate to. Watching a million members of your country die from a from an airborne disease has to spread fear and dread. I, I don't know that unless you're somehow incapable of empathy, I don't understand how you could not be affected by the consequence of living with this reality. 
not to mention the additional stress because of the changing work conditions. Um, parents with, you know, trying to teach your kids virtually. Older people, you know, essentially sequestered away in nursing homes or being unable to interact. And so many more consequences that would probably take 10 minutes to list and, and describe. So in the broadest sense possible, absolutely. And I think that some of the smaller issues pre-pandemic became critical issues. And during this year is much better, but starting in the spring of 20 until at least the fall of 21, a lot of people were not able to get appointments with seeking new therapy. Yes, I completely agree. I had a, a discussion with a friend on this very topic about the number of people who desperately need psychological help, but they're literally unable to get an appointment because many of the cl clinicians are simply overwhelmed with the number of requests. So I don't know, me personally, the pandemic has affected my mental health greatly. I don't know anyone in my sphere of living that's been affected at all from a mental health standpoint from the pandemic. And that surprises me. I mean, what but, do you think that means? Do, do you think that perhaps that these people are just sort of disconnected? Um, or what, what do you think is going on? Because I think that's an interesting perspective. I don't know anyone that's been affected from the pandemic from a mental health standpoint. I don't know if I'm overly empathetic, if I'm a little deeper of a thinker, but I don't know anyone that has skipped a beat. And when I say anyone, I should say adults. No one I know has been affected. It hasn't affected their life. They have not felt any type of disconnection, any type of depression, where for me, I do have previous mental health issues. It's deeply affected me. No, that is... Go ahead. No, and I don't have an answer why I don't know anyone that has been affected by it, even early in the pandemic. I don't think people took it as seriously. No one has mentioned to me other than you that we have passed the million mark of people that have that have passed. No one is, I don't know anyone that even talks about it. And just to be clear, at the time of this recording, um, it's either surpassed it or approaching it. So uh, I'm using uh, that general figure, but yeah, that and that is, that is a really scary number to consider. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just part of human psychology. I mean, let's face it, you, you know, as human beings, you know, dating back, you know, 40, 50,000 years, I'm sure as species, we've had to deal with some really dramatic, distressful situations. And perhaps as a consequence, some of us perhaps just don't react to these negative situations the way others do. And perhaps, you know, this is psycho, you know, this is uh, evolutionary psychology at work. Possibly. And I have been hearing more, which is more concerning. Maybe adults can process things better, but I do think that we have a mental health crisis with, with our younger children coming. I think that's a reasonable estimation. I can't see how children during their formative years being not being permitted to interact with each other for two, three years now under regular circumstances and how it wouldn't have lasting impacts with on socialization, on identity, and so many more factors that we consider as essential to being healthy adults. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think as a society, we'll have to watch this. And you and I've talked about in previous podcasts, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I'm wondering, could some of this fallout happen in another few years? I think we'll have to watch to see crime statistics, uh, statistics, excuse me. And I think we'll watch 
uh, divorce rates. So a lot of the social indicators of broader social health, I think we'll have to watch and see what happens. You know, we'll have to look at, will there be a rise in bankruptcies? Will there be a rise in any number of social disorders? Uh, teen pregnancy rates, um, dropout rates. It's entirely possible that all these maladaptive strategies are in the pipeline only to be revealed in the next four, five, 10 years. And you and I live outside Philadelphia and every day online on the news, I see that someone else has been shot. And I don't know if that's a side situation from the pandemic. That's a difficult one. My suspicions are that the rise in murders and violent crimes in Philadelphia and other major cities are a function of correlated factors, not causative factors. I think what's going on in, in our culture, broadly speaking, you have parallel tracks of dysfunctional behaviors taking place within young people, adult, middle-aged, older people. I think we're seeing a wide cast of social dysfunctions taking place. And I think the pandemic was perhaps a catalyst. It may not have caused some of these things to happen, but I think it may have essentially just catalyze the reveal of some of these underlying social dysfunctions. And when I was going over my outline of what I want to talk about, one thing that really kept sticking with my mind is you and I know I had two very close friends and family members take their own lives in the last two years. And the fallout from that for me personally has been life altering. And it made me think when I was getting prepared as friends and family members, what can we do to stop this? Are there signs that we're missing? Is it something that could happen no matter what we're doing? I look at Ashley Judd and she was in the next room. A family member came to visit and she turned around and her mother was gone. Are we missing the tidal wave and do we need to get it before it's drowning? Oh, that's a really complex question. I think the first step is to listen and take people's report of distress seriously. I think, especially for men, and as, as a man, I think I can perhaps speak to this. There is a kind of machismo that incentivizes us to dismiss other men experiencing emotional pain or a form of mental illness. And I, I think as we evolve as a society, I think that attitude will have to moderate. You know, if you want to go and prove your manhood by becoming a boxer or an MMA artist, um, fine. But there needs to be an adjustment to recognize that men do suffer from mental health disorders. So that would be my first, the first sort of step is just recognizing that the problem exists and that it is consequential. The second step is to recognize your own limits as a friend, as a parent, as a child, as a partner, and be, and, and, and assume a supportive role, which can mean many things. It means, you know, recognizing your own limits and directing someone who's suffering to professional help. Uh, it could mean simply just listening and allowing someone to express their feelings and get it out. It could mean directing them to clergy or some other individual who's more equipped to help the person in distress deal with their feelings. I think the days of dismissing people, belittling people because they're under emotional distress, I think those days need to end. And what do you do with the person that is getting all the proper help, all the proper medication, 
is being monitored closely and this still happens? And that's one question I can't kind of get settled in my mind. It's a great question. It's a great question. And unfortunately, because of the venue that we're on for this discussion, I don't know if it would be appropriate to even speculate. Um, I, I, I support the idea of being a resource to someone in distress. Um, but the proper approach is beyond my purview. You know, all I can say with any sense of responsibility to anyone who might be listening to this podcast is, you know, be prepared to be supportive, be prepared to guide an individual who's um, in distress to the proper resources. But beyond that, you know, it's perhaps it's a conversation that we need to have as a society. What do we do? When, as you said, you know, the, the person who's experiencing the, the stress, essentially they've checked all the boxes in terms of the proper protocols and still this happens. I don't know. I don't know what the socially responsible thing is to say. I have my own thoughts, but I don't know if necessarily it's appropriate in this venue to speculate beyond what I've just said. But I do believe with Ashley Judd coming out and stating exactly what happened, this has been a game changer in the conversation regarding the taking of one's life. I was applauded her. I thought they were being a little secretive, but wanted to respect their privacy. But she wanted to get ahead of the story. And I do think it's a game changer of no longer living in shame and fear of when a loved one takes their own life. Absolutely. Well, you know, I reflected on my response just a moment ago. And I think there can be some positive steps because I do want this podcast to be useful and helpful to anyone who might listen to it. And the first step is just to become more educated on the factors that are involved in the different types of mental illness, you know, recognizing or at least having an awareness of whether or not, you know, your loved one is suffering from an anxiety disorder, a mood disorder, a psychotic disorder, eating disorders, uh, impulse control, personality disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, which we've spoken about on several occasions, um, or even, you know, the more rare forms of stress response syndromes, you know, or dissociative disorders. There are many labels that clinical professions of you, professionals have used to label the different forms and expressions of mental illness. So step one is perhaps go to the library, um, call your primary care physician, um, speak to someone in authority. Uh, and by authority, I mean someone who's actually trained in dealing with mental health disorders and educate yourself. That is the, that is the first step. As much as you can encourage uh, your loved one in distress to reach out and seek professional help to help guide them through their distress, I think as supportive loved ones, friends, spouses, and so forth, I, I do think one proactive step that we can take to, to make this podcast practical and useful is to educate yourself as much as you can. Learn about the broader context of mental health diagnoses and then become intimately familiar with the mental health struggles that your loved one is going through. And I think, I went, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Go on, no, go on, I'm sorry, Nick. No, I was just gonna wrap up and just say, that will at least help shape the kinds of conversations that you're having and recognizing some of the threats and some of the triggers that will put your loved one in greater risk. And I was going over so many articles and one that caught my attention was from probably a girl in her mid twenties and this goes with the broader 
conversation of the podcast is family and friends helping. She wrote an article that really deeply touched me that early, early intervention could have changed her life. And I think as family members, as friends, and for ourselves, if we see that we might be developing some mental health challenges, the earlier intervention, the better. So it does not become a crisis point. Yeah, and you know, certainly not, you know, it doesn't become a crisis point where the person who is uh, struggling with mental illness and their loved ones are completely at a loss as to what is going on. And I think that's how so many individuals in our society, that's the place they found themselves. They found themselves alone dealing with a mental health situation surrounded by individuals who have absolutely no concept of what they're struggling with. And I, I can only imagine how that lack of education for both parties potentially exacerbates the situation. I think we're heading into a different conversation with mental health. A, we're having a mental health awareness month. Yes. And I just feel that Another article that caught my eye was Kim Bassinger, which she has spoken about over the years, but she revisited her battles with agoraphobia, which I suffer from. And I was very happy, that might not be the right description, but I was happy to have agoraphobia back in, you know, in terms of just part of the conversation. It used to be kind of a hot conversation in the late 80s, early 90s, but people struggling with agoraphobia has kind of vanished. And when she came out and spoke about it again, especially people who suffer from agoraphobia regarding the pandemic, a lot more people have become more housebound due to the actual real fear that is out in the world now. Completely agree. And while you were talking, you know, I, I was sort of motivated by what you were saying to, to this realization that I think one of the changes, because I, I really want to make this discussion as productive as possible that we can envision for a healthier society is perhaps for the representation of individuals dealing with mental health illness be better represented through our art and through music, much in the way that we as a society here in the United States, we have fought for greater representation of people of color um, members of the LGBTQ community to be represented as whole individuals. I think that would go a long way to show the completeness of what it's like to be an individual in that situation, what it's like to be a family coping with an individual who's in that situation. And I think it would go a long way to disassociate some of the stigma attached to mental health struggles but how do you how do you motivate hollywood for instance you know to represent an individual protagonist in a film uh, struggling with mental health issues without making it worse you know how do we get them to show that it's not only women who struggle with emotional problems but men struggle with emotional problems and these men and women can be strong and productive and important members of society. So I, I think it's an it's a all hands on deck approach. I think we need to discuss it the way we see commercials for breast cancer awareness, the little red ribbon, which I worn proudly. I think we need that kind of approach in our society that it needs to be reflected in the broader society, not just these niche locations where yes, Mental Health Awareness Month is a good first step, but I think we need to recognize that it will need to be reflected more broadly in our society. 
I agree. And the Kim Bassinger article was actually, and it made me happy, was in the Hollywood Reporter. I'd expect something like that in People magazine. I was startled when I saw it in the Hollywood Reporter. So I thought it's going a little more mainstream because mental, my agoraphobia is part of who I am but I try not to let it define me. And that's how we should all be, whether it's depression, the LGBT community, Black Lives Matter. We, I want everyone to live as a whole. It can be part of who we are, but I don't want these to define us. Yes, and, and I think that that is what happens when people who are not properly educated on these struggles or, or these experiences try to reflect them more broadly throughout society. We get um, these stilted, stereotypical representations and that can cause as much harm as anything else and that's what i'd love to avoid i'd love to see greater representations of people ceos not only you know um the single mother struggling but the ceo who's making you know 20 million dollars a year but is also kicking butt um you know in her in her, her capacity as a corporate leader the police officer who comes home and admits to his family that he's struggling with depression but he's a damn good police officer and goes out there and serves his community you know the school lunch lady who smiles at the kids every day but has a severe anxiety disorder i think we need to see the broadest representation of society and the wholeness of their lives with a mental health struggle because otherwise we wind up creating stereotypes as, as we did with representations of black people, you know, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, with gay people, that is that is the danger that we need to avoid. Representation is absolutely important, but we need a complete representation of these people so that we don't create further stereotypes and marginalize people who are struggling. I think the one thing that I was disappointed because obviously we've gone over Naomi Judd, Kim Bassinger, but I think the one moment that was lost and could have brought the conversation globally was what happened at the Oscars with Will Smith. I did not see two African-American men fighting. I saw someone suffering with trauma, meaning Will Smith. And I was hoping that he would have taken that moment and he might in the future to bring it to a much more global conversation as an African-American male. Yes, and I think identifying the fact that an African-American man is struggling with mental health is part of the overall paradigm that I think we need to construct as a society to deal with these problems healthier. That's one aspect of it because we need to just simply say, it's not just white people. You know, black people struggle with this too. And, and it's, this, it's this broader sophistication that we need to bring to the discussion in terms of how we represent and have these discussions throughout society. So I think you're absolutely on point. And, and I think it was a cry for help, but it got lost in the, the just the, the, the politics of gossip. It became a spectacle onto itself rather than recognizing the underlying psychology or the underlying more, I guess more precisely, the underlying maladaptive psychology that would impel a grown man to assault another man on live television that's being broadcast internationally. That says a lot. And I think we haven't gotten to the point where we're having that discussion. We're just dealing with the surface layers of what happened on that stage. And so I think your point is well taken. And so it speaks to my, my point where we need to address and get to that point where we're having these more sophisticated conversations about why violence takes place. We think people are violent because they're bad or good. And I think when we're dealing with these 
these uh, simplistic dichotomies. It fails to capture, it fails to lean into the uncomfortableness and the underlying problems that lead people to practice these behaviors. And I was disappointed when it did happen. I was shocked when I saw a man in crisis and I felt that he lost his moment to address it. And it bothered me more than anything that he's disappeared in shame, leading again to that word stigma. Yes. I wish he'd come out and said, this is what's happening. This is why it happened. This is the help I'm getting. And let me be part of the conversation. You know what, Marie, I'm going to go back to something you did. You said at the beginning, you said that you didn't really see anyone struggling around you. And I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think as the, the conversation has progressed, I, my perspective is like broadening and shifting a little bit. And I think what we're seeing, um, I, I think we should look at uh, drug and alcohol consumption. You know, I wish we had access to those figures because there are different forms of, or there are different expressions of people and how they deal with mental disorders. I, I think there are a lot of people out there that are shopping their way through mental health problems. They're drinking their way through mental health problems. They're dating their way through mental health problems. I think there are many layers that perhaps you and I might not see on the surface layer that are reflective of the pain that people are going through. So, you know, respectfully, I think I might disagree with you on, on that, that on the level that you would perceive someone and their lack of struggle amidst the pandemic, I suspect that as time goes on, the fact will be revealed that these people, they're just managing their mental health struggles with greater um, consumption whether it's through material goods or drugs and alcohol or sex. And I think during the pandemic, everything was in such a heightened state that it's going to take a minute for people to process, which I think we're heading into that time now. And some of that trauma could catch up with them. But I do believe that the mental health professionals are aware of the tidal wave that's coming and have the right tools in place to get people the correct help to get them to the next level so it does not become a crisis point. I go back to that one article. I think it would have saved me and many of my loved ones who have since left. Early intervention is the key or at least medium intervention. Because when it gets to the late stage that people are struggling to stay alive, we as a family member and a society, we have failed. I agree. And I don't know that there's anything I can add that's more poignant than what you just said. I believe this conversation is to be continued. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a necessity. Thank you for joining us on the White Bikini. And of course, Nick, thank you again for joining me as my co-host. It's a pleasure, Marie. And I certainly do look forward to continuing this conversation. was mine.